Welcome to Get Unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Over the next hour, you will be given valuable tips and tools you can use to overcome what keeps you stuck. Now, here is Jason. Welcome to Get Unstuck, Move Forward With Your Life. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins. Thank you for joining us today. Get Unstuck Radio is inspired by my own journey of navigating this thing called life. More than a decade ago, I faced my own dark night of the soul, a painful chapter that robbed me of my mind, my money, and my way. After a series of catastrophic setbacks upended a lifetime of work, I was left with two choices, to end it all or to begin again. Fortunately, with a mustard seed of faith, I chose to walk forward with a new commitment to serve others. Over the last decade, I have faithfully worked to evolve the narrative of how the world sees mental health. By recognizing that everyone struggles, sometimes we all need insight and a different perspective to see life more clearly. Not only is this show the birthplace of my own efforts to overcome life's challenges, but a safe space to meet other champions who, even after their own setbacks, still bravely show up to serve others. Get Unstuck Radio highlights the phenomenal people who have joined me along the way. It is a place to share their stories, which hopefully will spark inspiration in your own life. Together, we celebrate our individual capacity to move forward and get the lives we truly desire. Each week, a distinguished guest will share their own unique perspective about what it takes to move beyond stuck and achieve their truest potential. Regardless of where you are, I'm hopeful you'll discover the inspiration and courage to make an impact in your own life. Let's get started. My dear friend and colleague, Karen Comba, is joining us today. Karen has dedicated her life to mental health advocacy. In doing so, she has managed nursing homes and medical offices, working directly with those impacted by mental illness. Recently, she published an incredible book, The Snipers We Couldn't See, her own memoir of growing up with a schizophrenic mother. She is the live stream TV host of Best Reads, Tomorrow's Headlines Today. Karen, thank you for being here today for another get Un- episode of Get Unstuck Radio. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you and being on your radio show, Get Unstuck. Congratulations on your radio show thank and you. everything you've done in your life. You're just an amazing person. I just feel honored that you're having me on a guest with such an important topic. Well, you know, when I started the show, I, you were at the top of the list of people that I wanted to have on the show. And you're so busy these days, us getting the schedule has taken a little longer than anticipated. But, you know, one of the things that um, I want our listeners to recognize is that when I met Karen, she shines this beautiful light into the world. And, you know, like me, is really focused on how do we advance the conversation around mental health. And Karen comes to to this work like so many of us do from a deeply personal story. Um, I had mentioned a minute ago that she wrote a book, The Snipers We Couldn't See, about her own journey and story of her mother um, having schizophrenia, and really just thought that this is an opportunity to take some time and bring a topic into this space that we often don't talk about, the, the things that we couldn't see, the snipers we couldn't see. Um, so Karen, I, I'm just, I'm so honored to have you here today, but Tell us a little bit more about, you know, there's so much to unpack here, but how did this this personal story of yours turn into a passion for you to share with the world to uh, evolve the conversation about mental health? Well, uh, thank you, Jason. As you well know, through my book, um, I wrote about my life, the child that is living with the schizophrenia mother. When I got through, when my mother committed suicide when I was 29, I thought, 
we're just an American family. We're, we worked hard. We, you know, we can't be the only people that this is happening to. Right. And it started getting inside my heart that it just started evolving. Like, is there other children out there like me? And I started doing my research, which 30 some years later, here I am, but I just knew that there was other children. And I'm talking about the silent ones, the ones that are, there's a child we're not talking about, the child that's have mental illness around them. They have to go home to it. They have to live with it. Uh, The parent has to live with it. And they're going through all these things and they're not talking because they're their self-worth and everything else is gone. So I just decided that Mm. as it weighed into me that for anybody to listen to me, if I didn't write the story, Jason, nobody would listen to me because you have to prove, you know, if people don't know you've come from their world, they're not necessarily going to listen or think that you know what they are feeling. Right. I'm so inspired by your recognition of the vulnerability and courage that it would take to show up and share your story. I mean, I after reading your book, you know, the one thing that I was compelled from, like I loved hearing your unique story, but I was left with this feeling of recognizing how many others out there are suffering silently that we don't know about. I mean, the, the stories that we hear on the news are so often scary, sad, traumatic when it relates to mental health and mental illness. But the reality is, is there are, generations of individuals that are struggling because they were in a family structure with somebody that struggled. They may not have their own struggle necessarily, or the subsequent ones that follow from being raised that way. But, you know, it really, it is kind of the unspoken generation. It is, Jason. I've gotten over 10,000 emails asking me not to stop because they were before me, the millions before me, with me, the ones that are going to come after me. Um, The self-worth, they end up, I'm like, I'm the lucky one, Jason. I ended up here. I feel like I was chosen to be here, but the kids end up in foster home. They drug alcohol and drugs, uh, homeless. Um, they settle for life. They're, they're, they're just basically li- living an empty shell, if you will, through their life because they never, when this happens to them in their home, they come out of it not thriving, not understanding who they are. They don't even know who, I don't even know if they care who they are. They're just surviving. Right. And this is a child that I feel like uh, if we don't get to them, uh, it could be the child that becomes the next Unfortunately, you know, there's always mental health when you see the kids that are become the high school shooters or you get the child that did something terrible. And but when you look in their home, there was mental illness there. And I think if we could get to the children early and educate them, if someone would have educated me, I, I know that things would have been quite different. Well, so, you know, keeping keeping that in the personal lens of looking back in your story, what what would have been the things that could have made a difference you know, mm-hmm. if you knew now what, what, you know, if you knew then what you know now, what are the things that could have made a difference for you growing oh, up? Oh, the one thing that could have been incredibly helpful to me, if someone would have just sat me down at 11, 10, from 10 years old on and explained to me what m- my mother was living with. Right. If someone could explain what mental illness is, if someone could explain that what come out of her mouth wasn't personal and that I could go vent somewhere. If there was classes from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade where you could really study it 
and know what's happening. Or if your friend happens to be in that situation, you know how to help your friend and you can say it out loud and you can talk about it. Mainly is education because I nobody would even look at me and 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 look at the child and say, this is what's going on. They just you are unseen. You you they you just live with it and you come right. home and so you never shared it because you didn't want children to go home with you. You, you know, you you were told terrible things when you're home, mental abuse. So you basically are fearful of your day. This is how I explain it, Jason, really good. If I could have had some education. Um, can you imagine when you're brought into this world, you're naturally brought in to love your mother or love your father. I mean, that right. the baby loves the parent. Can you imagine wanting to love your parent, knowing that's a mother, that's your, that's your inside being, but fearing them at the same time and hating them at the same time. And if someone could have came in the midst of that and educated me when I was little, I would have, I would, because kids are resilient. They, right. you would have known, and then you could have dealt with uh, your life quite differently. Well, and I would love to say if we fast forward and look at to where we are today in the world, that that things have improved, that education is better, that these kids are seen. And the reality is, is I I doubt much is different at all. You know, in the work that I do with with NAMI and in the mental health space, in in recognizing that this is just another segment of underserved populations. I do believe that. And I think that it's easy to say we're talking about mental health. And a lot of people say, oh, we have it. We're, we're dealing with mental health. They say it, but there's no solutions and there's none. It's easy to say that, that I'm involved and I'm talking about it. But have we brought solutions to our children? Absolutely right. not. You know, I, I I so agree with you there. And, and, and I'm just, you know, for anybody that's listening, that maybe this sparked something in their own history or resonance with their lives, you know, I, I, Karen, I'd love for you to share with us that this was not a one and done experience. Like this started early in your life and really, you know, continued throughout the course of you growing up and then even into adult uh, adulthood until your mother took her own life. Like, let's talk a little bit more about the continuum of this this was not just a one time thing. No, and you're and you're right, Jason. The thing, the reason I uh, wrote from four to sixty four, if you will, in the book, is because the child that gets no help, um, it becomes the it, adult that has no resources. Becomes the adult that has no help, and then you live your whole life with your you're beaten down. You feel like your absolute self worth is completely shattered. And you keep throwing yourself into situations where you're used to the abuse and it becomes normal for you, but then you you don't feel like you're worth anything on this earth and you keep going through life over and over and over again because you don't even have the tools to realize what you've been through since you were four. Right. So if we don't interrupt this cycle, is I guess why I'm out with my thing. If you don't, if we don't interrupt this cycle, that child will end up like me, multiple, well, with my situation, multiple marriages. And it wasn't because of their fault. It's just because of my life and the abuse. And I kept um, accepting the abuse when someone would be that way to me. It was okay. This is, this is what I've 
live with my whole life. I guess things don't change. And it didn't even quit when my mother committed suicide. Then I realized she was gone, but I was still living it, if you will, in right. every way, even though she went away. So if we don't interrupt the cycle in in these children's lives, they'll end up, I don't want them to live like me and be at 65 years old going, now I know I can help, but I don't want them to have that happen to them. So really, if I'm understanding you, the cycle of abuse that you you endured growing up, I mean, you just took that on and became the, the torch carrier for that in your own life once you moved into adulthood. Yes. And um, it took me years, Jason. I almost became an uh, alcoholic and I became very self-destructive to myself. And because I thought if my mother thought I was worthless, then I must be worthless. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to um, have anything. And then finally, when the switch light went on, um, that I started doing myself, I got near people where they go, you know, you need to do some self love. And you start in my fifties, I started realizing that I needed to start loving myself. Anyway, it took to in my middle sixties to realize that um, I have to make a difference. But I've lived my whole life with this uh, damaged goods, if you will. Well, and I just love, and and I'm sorry that you had the painful lessons to get to this place of self love and self awareness around, you know, how you're now showing up to serve others. But but again, I go back to, you know. Our parents are supposed to be where our source of esteem comes from, where we feel safe, where we feel loved, you know, where we move into the world, you know, kind of with ease to navigate things. And and for anybody that's listening who's experienced this, you probably and can acknowledge, and I can in my own life as well, that when you have parents that don't have the tools or the skills and then have an illness on top of it, um, you know, in my particular instance, I was raised by a mother who had um, a mother with mental illness. So, you know, I, I was essentially your child, so to speak. And I can tell you the damaging effects that come from, from being on that end of things. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I just want to underscore it's a cycle, you know, and, and what you've really done here, Karen, with writing your book and doing the work that you've done for yourself and to serve others is really breaking a cycle. It's saying that the madness stops here and we don't have to live this way. That's right. That's right. And the thing where you, the children might be, um, if you know someone that has this in their home, you need to um, reach out to them because the child in there is screaming for your help and take them out, give them some normalcy. But the thing is, I look at other children, Jason, growing up and I thought, and I go to their homes and. I'd look around their house and I'd realize that their house was different. And, but I never said anything, you know, you still aren't saying it out loud. And my, I guess what's happening inside of me is um, what I'm doing now, when I speak to children in high schools and universities and everything, I'm saying, you've got to say it out loud. You have to say it out loud. So somebody hears you. And um, then I want someone to have listening skills so mm -hmm. that they can listen to these children and realize we're missing out on a lot, Jason, on the, on the wonderful side of you think about all the children that are living this way and not thriving. The world is missing out. If they want to make the world a better place, you start with these children. I mean, we're well, missing what, out on the fantastic children. 
what better what better mouthpieces than uh, for promotion than the people who have the lived experience i mean you know frankly i even look at my own journey and realize that as much as i spent so many years hating the stories that built me it is because of those stories that i am who i am today and and that's the same thing for you i it, it is and i feel like i was chosen it just wouldn't leave me if you will and the book wouldn't leave me and then when i did it and everybody's there. I'm not getting any no's. I'm getting thousands of emails from teachers to asking me not to stop and that they wanted in the schools. I don't, I know if I keep talking, I will keep bumping into people that are going to help make this difference, but it's, it's absolutely critical that we start helping these children because we're, we'll be gone and they'll, right. they'll be here left. And so I thought, I have to start, somebody has to start speaking for them. And that's why I'm doing this. You know, what I hear you've given us is a release valve. You know, you've, you've named the baby, so to speak, and you, and you put it out into the world of this is a, this is the unspoken that needs to be spoken. And I think there's real peace in, in bringing light to the things that we have for years struggle to shine a light on. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into a little more about your book and the work that you're doing specifically with schools and with kids to help move this conversation um, into the light. Um, and please come join us in, in two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You too can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I am here with my fabulous friend, Karen Comba. Um, she is the author of The Snipers We Couldn't See. It's a memoir of her journey of growing up with a schizophrenic mother. And before the break, we were really talking about the unseen and the the damaging effects that it can have 
um, being raised by a parent or a loved one that has mental health conditions. Um, Karen, I, I just, again, I am so inspired by the work that you're doing and know that it is such a deeply personal passion project for you. You know, let, let's talk a little bit more about, you had mentioned that it took you 30 years to write the book and that finally you knew you had to birth this baby and you did it. What was the turning point for you to recognize that it was time to get get out of your head and onto the page? Well, I, I think I just got exhausted of living. The reason it took the 30 years is I was still allowing the abuse and I was just throwing myself into situations after situations. And finally, I one day I just thought this has to stop. And then I sat down and I thought, I can't allow anybody in my life. I mean, that's relationship wise um, until I figure out myself. So I started on a 10 year path, Jason, to get myself figure out what's going on. So talking to doctors, I really started researching the to death, the mental health part of it, the schizophrenia, the bipolar, the depression, the anxiety, the sadness, and realizing that it had happened to me because of mom and what she did to me, I was experiencing all these things that I was not supposed to experience because I was a healthy kid. Right. So it's like projected on me and I didn't, it wasn't like I was living with it and I had it like my mom, you know, was living with it. I was projected to have it the rest of my life. And I was just, uh, there was a few things in the book that happened when I finally realized that I married only for a few days just so that I wouldn't be alone, I realized that I was really sick and I needed to stop. So I I did a, a quick annulment and I realized that I was down a path of no return unless I stopped. And that was my last, uh, if you will, abuse that I said I was going to accept. And that's what my turning point was. Well, and how wonderful that the light came on. But I mean, it really, it sounds like, you know, you you were fulfilling this cycle of abuse for yourself through a series of failed relationships, you know, potential addictions, et cetera. Um, I know you had mentioned earlier in, in the show that that your mother completed suicide when you were 29. Um, and I remember reading that story in your book. How... Did, did her death set you free in any way or did that just, it just was kind of another experience and you moved on from? Well, what ha- seemed to happen is, you know, schizophrenia changes. They said right. they don't stay the same. Uh, they don't stay in the same crazy, if you will. And they, they move through cycles as schizophrenia. And she had aged enough that she was in her fifties and she was for some reason, I, I realized that if I lived with the mental health, uh, illness with her and I didn't fight her on it, when she called and talked and said things that didn't make sense, I listened, but I didn't fight it anymore. I thought, if this is who you are, then I'm going to. So I was an adult woman already. So I thought, I'm going to li- just listen to you and I'm not going to fight you on it. Okay. So we started to bond, if you will. And right when we started to bond, she committed suicide. So right at the moment that I lost her is the first time that I felt that we were starting to love each other. So you you really had just started to feel connected to her. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And I remember, you know, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you had this, you had been to visit her the morning um, that, that she completed suicide. And um, I, I think you had a knowing in your spirit that something, something was changing. Well, you know, with schizophrenia, they, you know, mom had threatened suicide for years. You know, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. And I don't want to be here. And sometimes she'd get off on that tangent. So there was a, there was a different kind of level in my brain that day. It was like something was telling me this don't seem right. But then the other little person inside my brain was going, oh, this is just mom. This is, here we go again. You know, here we go again. And I fought it. It was like a fight. So when she did complete the unfortunate, uh, when she, you know, went ahead with the suicide, I was left with so much pain, Jason, because I wondered how come I didn't let part of me that thought something didn't seem right, you know, win, but I didn't. You know, this is an interesting question and and having having been through in the work that I do, many people who have taken their lives over the course of the years and it and it never gets easy and you never have a why. Was there any sense of peace for you after she took her life around knowing she wasn't struggling anymore? There was peace in my heart for her. Right. And I thought you have because uh, at, at the funeral, people were coming up and saying, I wish you would have known your mother when she was young. She was vibrant. She was a genius. She was beautiful. She was she taught school kindergarten through eighth grade for years, what she did for our kids. So all these people were coming up and telling me about the woman I never knew. And then so at the funeral, I think when that started happening, when I left the funeral that day, I thought. I'm glad that you're at rest because you didn't ever get to live that beautiful woman that you were and this unfortunate person that you had to live with inside is gone. Right. And you can now rest. Now I know your dad was such a pivotal part of this story in the book. And of course you have siblings. Tell me how, how did this impact them and was it different than what you experienced? Well, you know, in 1960s, when mom was having this, um, there were a lot of insane asylums. You know, you had you would put commit your parent or your loved one guardian inside or sibling, whatever. And not only were they put not put in, um, I want to say, in the level where they needed to be in, in the institute, they would just put them in there. So a lot of times mom, when mom would get this way, dad would, they would commit her. She would go away for six or nine months into the, uh, you know, the insane, you know, for the insane. And a lot of them were worse off than her. So it, I would, when we'd go to visit her, it wasn't like doing anything to help her. She'd come out and cry because she said, you know, and she'd still talk a little bit off, but then they were really talking off. So back in that time, my father, the only thing they had an answer, he was a workaholic, an incredible man, but he was just working because insurance didn't pay mental illness. So everything he everything that happened to mom, electric shock treatments, the going to the regional center to stay six, nine months, he had to come out of pocket. So he was a successful farmer, but he had to get bigger just to pay the bills for her. Okay. So he was a workaholic, incredible man, but workaholic. Mom would go in and out of institutions. And so there was um back in that day, there was no um 
answers, if you will. There was just mom's away. Okay, right. you get a break. So that was our break, six to nine months. And then mom would come home and we'd have her back for whatever short time we had her, just like a disease. And then she'd go so back. So it was just a cycle that you were you were cycle. constantly on. And and it sounds like, and, and I don't want to misquote you here, but I mean, your dad, while loving, was also fairly detached yes. in, in his ability to be able to support you guys differently. Yeah, sometimes grandma would come stay with us when we were little, um, but nothing was said. That's what I even have in the book. Nobody said anything. Dad would come in from the field and we'd eat and we'd sit down, but not one word was even said about mom being gone. Where's mom at? What does mom have? I mean, it was like radio silence, if you will. And it was, it was just, I mean, it's just like three little, you know, three little I have two siblings, three little children just sitting in a, watching a little television and nothing, just nothing. And so that's why I um, say that child and I'm finding out the children still are silent like we were, and they're still not talking about it at home because people I think are just trying to survive, if you will, Jason. I think right. the family inside is just trying to survive. The, they've got one that's healthy, so they're trying to work and make ends meet. They're barely... They can't attend any of the school games because they're trying to make, they're trying to take care of everything because the one other parent can't uh, or guardian. And they just think the children are going to raise themselves. You know, if you will, you just, you're healthy, go to school. You know, I, I, I wonder though, in listening to your story, if somebody had, had come along and said, we see you, we, we understand like what would have been the thing that would have made a difference? Because I can imagine there's a counterbalance to that story that if somebody comes along and sees you, you want to go with them, yes. you know, like take yes. me away from this. And the reality is this is still your life. Right. You know? uh, my, uh, I would have, um, I couldn't wait to go stay with my aunt and uncle. I mean, that was like a dream for me because it was a break. Um, but I will say um, I've had cousins since the books come out, I've had relatives write me letters and say, I wished I would have come and intervened. I wish that I would have came and got you kids. I wish that I would have done more. I knew it was going on and we did nothing. Right. So I'm also talking to the relatives out there going, you know what's going on. Relatives do know what's going on. Loved ones do. You have to you have to intervene. Even if you take that child for French fries and a hamburger or you take them to a concert or something, intervene and give that child some normalcy. So I, I want to I want to highlight for anybody that's listening, when you use the word intervene, it's not coming to take you out of the no. world and find you a new place to live and taking you on to raise. It's literally taking you for an outing, for a day, going to the park, going and doing something fun that just gets you out of kind of the chaos that you're in for a little bit of normalcy. Like that's the thing that if if you're listening and you know somebody, the ways that you can show up, I don't think anybody has the expectation it is your job to fix it or to make it different than it is, but just being available to bring some normalcy back to the situation. Yes, I've had um, a lot of uh, women email me and reach out to me and say, 
you know, I have a friend or I know a lady that has is living with mental illness and you've changed my life. I'm going to be a better friend. It's even intervening. It's even coming into the home and saying, I'll be your friend for the one that's not feeling well. Right. And, you know, it's, it's just coming and giving that child a break to be where they see kids playing and they play and, and talking to them and saying, you know, we know that you're, that you're going through this and we know, and maybe helping them educate and make light of it. Like, you know, we can talk about what your parent has. We can, you can vent to us if you want to. And we'll maybe, um, do you want us to come get you a couple Saturdays a month or, you know, and educate them? That's all they want. That, that would have changed my whole life, Jason, would have changed my whole life. And isn't that amazing that those simple acts of kindness could have made all the difference? I mean, I I think about, I used to spend a lot of time with my, my grandmother growing up. And, um, you know, when you talk about befriending kind of that situation, I mean, I, I don't think as a kid, I recognized quite, you know, what we were dealing with and certainly don't have the tools and resources that I do today. But I always knew there was something different. I mean, my grandmother was very reclusive. You know, I, I remember she just liked to go on long drives and we would drive in the car and go different places. And, you know, it always felt like an adventure, but but she was very isolated by choice. And if I have to say, looking back, she was a friend, yes. you know, and I think maybe learning that from such an early age for her her uniqueness or suchness um, has really guided the work that I've gone on to do. So, you know, um, there was something within me that knew that this was not how everybody's grandmother was. And I loved her and she loved me. And, you know, there's never been any doubt in my mind as complicated and as challenging as she was. She was my biggest fan. Yes. Yes. And I went through part and, and please for the audience, bear with me. I went through quite a part where I didn't like my mother. I, 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 scared of her and I hated how she talked to me and I I took the brunt of it which so ironic about it is even at 15 when I was still getting the brunt of it when we'd go to the grocery store and she'd be pushing her groceries down the aisle and I'd see someone come and they it's a small town and they'd come around the corner with their grocery cart and they'd see her because they all knew the town knew right and they would turn around and hurry up and go down a different aisle. They didn't want to even push their cart towards her. And I found myself at that moment sometimes, as much as I was so mad at her, what was going on between her and me, I remember aching in my heart for her. Like, why are you doing that to me? Shame on you. And I remember sitting in church going, don't sit across the aisle from her because you think she's got some disease. And I, so it was really a deep connection inside with that, that yearning, that still that love for that mother was still deep. And even though we on the surface were struggling. Well, I think, you know, if I put different words to it, I mean, there is an element of you want to protect her. Yes. You know, the world is a cruel place. And I would love to say that 40 years later, 50 years later, we have advanced and the conversations are different. But in doing the work that I do in my professional roles, the recognition of most people don't learn about mental illness or mental health until it hits their home. And even then they don't. You know, I I think where we have done a disservice to society is we have never normalized the fact 
that everyone has mental health. If you have a brain in your body, which we all do, you have mental health. And there is a huge difference between mental health and mental illness. And mental illness like cancer, like diabetes, like heart disease, it is an illness that can be good or bad or any point on the continuum in between. And frankly, if and until we recognize that we all have a brain and have mental health, I think the conversation continues to struggle. I think it does. And I think uh, on the big side of it, I think the insurance companies need to change the way they think. I mean, if they would normalize it, you know how you have a physical and you go in and you have a mammogram, you have, uh, they pay for this, they pay for that, they take care of you, your insurance covers that, it covers this. You you know, when you go to fill out that questionnaire, the first thing they want to know is if there was anybody commit suicide in your family, did anybody do mental illness? You know, well, let's, let's why don't we kind of re uh, flip the switch, if you will, how we think about it. And if it comes from the big sources going, you know, why don't we analyze this? Are you okay, you know, going in there? Um, I think there's a lot of things in the world could change on the big front that where people could just say, okay, I, I, I need to have my brain, you know, I need to go in and get analyzed or I need to talk to someone about that, just like a mammogram. Right. Yeah. It It, it is time that we normalize the conversation that affects you know, statistically one in four. Right. Um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about all the exciting things that you've got going on and that you're doing because you're really making a difference in the world. Um, so come back to us in, in two minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins. And today um, we're having an incredible conversation about mental health with my friend, Karen. Um, Karen, I am so inspired by this conversation. And I love what we were talking about just before the break about, you know, uh, the brain and the body connection and how we currently really still don't have a system that looks at those in tandem. 
you know, the, the interesting thing that most people don't recognize is we don't have a school system that trains in integrated health. We don't have a payer system in the insurance world that uses same billing codes for mental health and physical health. Like as much as we want this, there there is miles to go before we get to a system that looks like like the world that we're talking about, which is why it's so important for crusaders like you and I to continue doing this work to to shine a light. Um, I know you've got some incredible things that you've got going. You just got back from Kenya. You spoke to over 10,000 um, college students in Kenya about this very topic. Share a little bit with us about that journey and then what else you've got going on. Oh, well, th- thank you, Jason. <clears throat> well, going to Africa was uh, life-changing for me. And I never knew, I didn't realize what I was going to, you know, face or how they, the children there knew about mental health. I did not quite, wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. And when I brought it up, I'll tell you the there is no boundaries between the United States, Africa, or any other country. And everybody said, well, some of the people have asked me, well, why'd you go to Africa? I said, because the kids are kids. And I'm trying to tell you, this is international. This is not United States. This is international. And I would bring it up and it was, it was incredible. We did uh, speaking to the universities. I did something kind of new there. I decided to test pilot it. I asked them to shut their eyes because I think the privacy is very important when I talk to children. And I know that sometimes because of my own weaknesses inside as a child, I didn't want people to know what was going on in my home. So I thought, well, I'm going to kind of flip the switch. So I'd say, okay, everybody shut your eyes. So you got 3,000 girls at one university, you got 3,000 girls, shut your eyes. And everybody raise your hand if you know someone that's struggling with uh, sadness, anxiety, bipolar, you know, little struggling, uh, there's somebody at home, you'd get about 80% raise their hands. Wow. This is that one in four, how we just talked about comes into uh-huh. play. Then I said, so keep your eyes shut. How many of you know, have a friend? So you get about 60% raise your hand, had a friend. And then what was really painful as I had him, I said, how many of you thought about suicide? And we had 65%. So that's when I realized that um, these children are no different. Right. You can travel across the world and it's the same thing. Their, their home is just a little bit different. Their school's a little bit different, but their feelings because people's brains aren't really that different. And well, so, and you mentioned on the break how doing that work there has only inspired you to be on fire for doing the, the work here in the States. Yeah, thank you for uh, getting me back on track because I stay on Africa and I almost can't leave them mentally. But what it did, what it did for me was I came home with just fire in my mind of going, I'm going to save my United States children. We have to do things because I'm not going to let our children suffering. They've got to get some help. And if it isn't us grownups, if we don't start looking at our children and making a difference, then I don't even know why we worry about global warming because who, what's warm, what they're not going to be around. And I mean, it's getting to the point where it's critical with these children, because just look at the bullying. Some of them are like third grade, six, six, six years old and stuff like that. Who Back in my day, nobody would nobody would have done things at six years old. So it's like um, 
I don't know what wake up call we got, but it brought me home from Africa with a huge one. Well, I, I just love that. And, you know, I, I am so inspired and do a ton of work with youth myself in, in the work that we're doing. And really, from my perspective and, and having done lots of focus groups and a podcast with youth, et cetera, the thing that I have recognized and learned is, you know, youth will talk about things today in a way that our earlier generations would not have. And when you talk about mental health in their world, it is a much broader conversation and topic that encompasses so many more things than um, you know what we think about. You just mentioned bullying, but it's disordered eating, it's sexual identity issues, um, it's gender identity issues, it's uh, self harm. Um, you know, there, there, it encompasses so much more. And I think if we really want to talk about about advancing the conversation, having a world for all of us that's worth living, it is really about empowering youth with prevention and resources that help guide and support them into becoming healthier humans. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we can do better. Yes, we can do better. I mean, the, the biggest thing, Jason, everybody <clears throat> goes, why are you concentrating on schools? Well, I'm going to tell you when that's going on in the home, they're not going to activities. They're not going to something five miles down the road or a social event. That's not happening. So if you want to get to these children, you've got to go to where they're at and they're going to respond to you. Like I, it was really interesting. I stopped by, there was a bunch of kids lined up at a Starbucks and I'm not going to say where anything because they're a parent go, what do you do? What did you, why did you do that? I said, I just asked a bunch of the kids there. I said, what would you want in high school? What, what, what would you want? If I could, if I could just wave the magic wand, what, what, what class would you want? And without me saying what I did, they said, we would love anything to do with mental health classes. Isn't that phenomenal? And there was 30 kids and they were all ages and they're all high school. I mean, I have to say, you know, as I was just saying, the work that I would do with youth, I am so inspired by youth and particularly their courage to talk about things that adults just still won't talk about. And, and I think they're going to be the way makers that open the door for us to make a difference and to make a change. And, and what it takes is people like you and I that are willing to show up to meet them at that place, you know, not being the Saturday advocate that you were looking for, but being the community advocate of saying, you know, it's ridiculous. We're not talking about this proudly and loudly. It's very true. And to give you an example, Jason, one of the young ladies at the university in Kenya and what at, at Kissy, she came up and said, afterwards, she said, I peaked. I said, you did what? She goes, when you asked us to close her eyes, I peaked. I said, you peaked. And I said, what? And I'm kind of trying to, you know, get to grasp what she's saying. She goes, I knew a lot of them people. So I've texted them and we're going to meet for tea. We're, we're not going to wait. We're going to start meeting for tea after school, after the university classes. And we're going to form a group and we're going to start talking about it. How wonderful. And instantly. See what the young people do? Instantly, they were starting to come up with solutions. It wasn't waiting for a grown-up to say, I'm going to put something together. They start coming up with solutions. And that's part of my talks when I do these high school or if anybody brings me in to, for social service or you know, teachers or whoever wants me to come in and speak. I said, make 15 minutes of your talk to them. Let them tell you because they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you solutions that you that are simple, right? 
are going to blow your mind that don't cost us anything. Well, and everything I am doing related to youth is for youth by youth. So, I mean, it has all been advised by some of the most inspiring young people here today. And frankly, what we're working on now is going to be mind-blowing in a way that we support youth and families moving forward. And I'm I'm so excited to do the work that I'm doing. But um, so what else have you got going on? Like, not that that's not enough. Um, I know you've got a, a TV show that's coming out here. Tell us a little bit, bit yes. more about that. I have a TV show in production. It's called mm-hmm. Best Reads and um, partners with David Fagan. And he's, if everybody remembers, or maybe they don't, but he was uh, one of the ones with the book, Gorilla Marketing. Right. And he's top agent, top talent agency. So we formed a partnership. Um, so we're in, it's in production now. It's going to call Best Reads. It's going to be kind of like entertainment tonight, like a little bit of talk soup and a little bit find authors and find their best chapters and bring authors to light that aren't getting aware, you know, the recognition they need. And then at the end of the show, we're going to do segments on mental health and we're going to bring in people and start inspiring and not, and not talk about anything that's not truth. It's going to be a show that is nothing but truth and positive because uh, you're not, people say now they're shutting off TVs because of the negativity and everything. Well, we're just going to flip the switch. So we're just going to try to do it and also bring main thing is bring awareness to everything that's good. Well, I love that. And certainly the world needs more of that. I mean, I can say, you know, I have to take a pause on TV myself because it's just, you know, we are inundated with scary, sad and traumatic. And frankly, you know, I I don't think the world needs any more of that. There's just a lot more um, goodness to unearth than than we even recognize, because that's not what sells. It, it isn't what sells. And I've been very fortunate, Jason. I'm, I'm going to be able to do a podcast and it be featured in Greece uh, tomorrow and then a TV show in uh, Australia. And what's leading this is the fact that everyone says, please keep going. People like you, Jason, the incredible work you do, they want it worldwide. And it, it isn't, they're just saying, can you please unlock the doors from the countries and let's just open her up. Well, and and I just want to resonate. The work that you're doing is built from a deeply personal story, and and you have chosen to take that pain and turn it into purpose. And I think what you've learned through this beautiful journey that you're creating is the need is unending. Yeah, and you know if you're listening, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background you know, you have the capacity to make a difference in one person's life. And sometimes it's just opening your eyes and showing up to get an ice cream, you know, to go for a walk, to take some action that will ultimately benefit you and the person that you're serving. Um, I think it starts there. I mean, if we want to turn this into a kindness mission, that's really what it is, Karen, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. It's it's pure love, Jason. Because regardless and, uh, of how hard your story is, what you were looking for as a child, I'm guessing, is somebody to be kind and to show up. Yes. And how quickly in a few minutes with a little bit of love and a little bit of understanding and a little bit of um, support and encouragement, you can flip a switch in a child just instantly and adults. If we, if we really want to be truthful, I mean, a lot of adults are getting their, their 
mind shifted and how they look at everything. But we can do it for a child. Just just love them. Well, I think it goes back to we all want to be seen, valued, and heard. Yes. You know, regardless of who you are, where you are, I think our base instinct is to to know that somebody sees us. Yes. And they just want love. It was so they just be recognized. Every child just wants to you'll be surprised if you just give them a hug because there's one little small thing I'll throw in, Jason, is you have to realize that their homes, they're probably not getting a lot of I love you's. Right. And they're probably not getting a lot of hugs and the body thrives on a hug. So sometimes um, I had one teacher that just gave me a hug and she made it so that I never missed one day of school, even if I didn't feel good because I wanted that hug every day. So wow. that's makes all the difference. So Karen, tell people how they can buy your incredible book and get in touch with you. Well, thank you for that. Everybody can go on my website, which is www.karencomba. And it says it has ways of buying the book, whether it's Barnes and Noble, Tattered, uh, Instica, um, they can Amazon, it's all there. And then there's a place on there that says contact Karen. And if you click on that, it goes right to my email. If you have any questions or you want to contact me and we just visit and, um, if there's anything I can do to help you in your areas, just let me know and I'm there. Well, I hope everybody picks up a copy of The Snipers We Couldn't See. Um, next week, we have another inspiring guest, Dan Newby. Dan is a champion for emotional literacy and works with individuals worldwide. We will discuss the concept of emotional literacy and how it applies to any of us getting the life we desire. We will also discuss imposter syndrome and the role it can play in keeping us stuck. You won't want to miss our inspired conversation. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Get Unstuck Radio show pages. You can find us on Get Unstuck Radio on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Karen, I have loved this conversation today. I am so grateful for you and the beautiful life that you bring to the world. Before we sign off, tell me one thing you're grateful for today. Well, I'm just grateful for you, Jason. Today, Karen. I'm grateful for you. And you're just, you're just such an inspiration to me, you don't realize what you've done for me, being my friend and and supporting me in my journey. And so today, it's about you, Jason. Karen, it is a true pleasure and honor, and I wholeheartedly appreciate that that compliment. And and I am grateful for you and the work that you are doing, not only uh, as my friend, but to to make a difference in the world. Um, thank you for being here. And until next time, remember every journey begins with the next step, and you can be your own champion. Thanks for listening to today's show. We hope we've helped you identify how you can overcome the mental block that's been keeping you stuck. Until we talk again, we wish you a great week.